I just want to pray for, for my friend. And um, so I want to ask you guys, you know, one, one of the things... What, one of the things we all dearly value-wise in this, in this, in this house is a, is, a, is a culture of honor. And I, I know I don't have to remind you of that, but, but we want to receive the, the gifts that the Lord gives, through whom He gives it. We want to receive it rightly. And, um, and so I just want to pray for, for my friend and, uh, tonight. Would you stretch your hands to Luke? Lord, thank you for this beautiful friend, the son in this house, Lord, and uh, just the, the beauty she put into him, God. I just, this, just thank you for his life, God. And um, we're privileged to receive from him tonight. And we want to, I want to speak a blessing over the, over the seeds that are sown tonight, that it would grow, multiply, that it would bear much fruit, that it would be called blessed. In, 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 this, in this house, Lord. And uh, I pray that as, as Luke shared, that he would feel received and, and he would feel loved by this family. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Don't hold back. Let the Holy Spirit just minister to your heart now. Let him touch you, let him minister you. Don't hold back. Thank you. There's been such a beautiful flow and move of the Spirit tonight that there's almost a tangible presence in the atmosphere as we're here. I feel so full of the Spirit, I, I, I couldn't stand Merv honoring me, if I'm honest. I just wanted to give the glory to God. I just wanted to shine Him and reflect on Him and say, you, Jesus. Not me, not anyone else, you, Jesus, you, Jesus, you, Jesus. And I still want to give us an opportunity a bit later to respond. Because whenever the king walks in, it requires an appropriate response. If you don't respond appropriately, there will come a time when you might not be in the same king as the room. So when the king is here tonight, don't be distracted. Let her do her thing. God's got an appointment with you here tonight. There's an appointment with you here tonight. Peter looks and sees a ghost on the water. A ghost walking on the water. And he says, if that's you, Jesus, call me, and I will come. Every time we engage with the king, every time we engage with Jesus, there's an opportunity to step into something new. There's an opportunity to answer the call. There's an opportunity to respond. And you might have been in this boat, in this place a thousand times, but there's a new call, there's a new opportunity to step into something new and to respond in a way that you haven't responded ever before. Blind Bartimaeus sits there. For those of you that don't know the story, a blind man sitting on the street corner, he'd been there all of his life with his can and his coins. And he would, he would shake his can with his coins like this. And everyone knew blind Bartimaeus because he never moved. And he sat there. And Bartimaeus sat there every day of his life. He knew the hustle, the bustle. He knew what happened. He sat in a busy street corner. But one day, 
something was different. Bartimaeus is sitting there with his cup, and he hears something new. He senses something different. The street is a little bit busier. There's a bit more chit-chat. Something new is in the atmosphere. Something has engaged in the space that has caused the very nature of this environment to change. And Bartimaeus, as blind as he is, cries out, Son of David, if that is you, come to me. And for some of us tonight, we've been on the street corner for so long, settling for the little bits of God and the two cents and the five rand. And there's been a blindness that has come in to to sense what is new. But God is saying, I'm here tonight. If you respond, I will give you new sight to see new things. So for us tonight that are like Bartimaeus, and we sense something new in the atmosphere, My prayer is that we would cry out, Jesus, if that's you, come to me. Because I don't want to be blind any longer. I don't want to be a beggar any longer. I don't want to sit in the street corner any longer. I want to see and walk in the fullness that you have for me. Son of David, if that is you, come to me. I love the story of the ten virgins. And I really sense that this is where we are at, at a crossroad as a church. I look at the beautiful prophetic words that happen tonight, and it's so often Jeanette that breaks it open. And I wish Jeanette, and I've been on a case for a while, this is a gift to the body. That deprives us of a gift. You are such a gift to the body. You break things open in a way no one else can because you hold it so humbly and so gently. Lee came in, and Lee shared a prophetic word, and Lee said repentance repentance. What I love about repentance, this is what so many of us misunderstand. Repentance is not a reflection of my brokenness. If it was, the entire world would be repenting. Repentance is a reflection of His holiness. If it was just brokenness, every Tom, Dick, and Harry out there would be repenting left, right, and center. The world is fully aware of how broken it is. It just doesn't know how to fix it. So repentance is not me going, I'm so broken. I'm so empty, I'm so hopeless. Repentance is coming face to face with holiness and saying, it doesn't matter what I am, that's what I want. So Lee comes and brings this word of repentance. Jeanette comes and speaks about a foundational recalibration where she says, let's allow our hearts to be foundationally recalibrated. The very things that underpin us, the very foundations of who we are and what we do, will we allow God to shift and recalibrate? The problem in a a shifting is there's always a shaking, and it's where we begin to wobble. Would you endure the wobble? Will you worship in the wobble? Will you wait on him in the wobble as he shifts and changes things and begins to recalibrate us in a way that will alter the very foundations of who we are? Can we go through that foundational recalibration. Lynette came up next, and Lynette spoke about a multiplication of seed of faith. The desperate for Jesus will have seeds of faith multiplied. The next was Fred came up and said, are we willing to be vulnerable tonight so he can wipe away every tear? He can heal us. He can fix us. Francois came up and says, Jesus will come to us tonight. Some of us are wearing old cracked Hessian bags and Jesus will come and take off the old clothes and put on new bright colored clothes. Look at what the Holy Spirit is saying. Come before me. See my holiness. 
exchange your brokenness for my holiness. Allow me to recalibrate the very foundations of who you are. Come before me and allow me to take that simple seed of faith the size of mustard seed and allow me to plant that in his faithfulness, his goodness, his mercy, his love. And let's begin to see mountains in our lives move. Mountains of doubt, mountains of fear, mountains of guilt and shame. Come bring, as Lynette said, your little seed of faith and allow him to breathe upon it, to touch it and cause it to multiply. If we look at Abraham and Sarah, it was never an issue of the seed. It was an issue of the soil. Abraham goes to the slave woman, instantly pregnant. And the seed of faith, it's never an issue of the seed. It's an issue of the soil where we've planted it. If you've planted the seed of faith in your faithfulness and your ability to earn God's love and earn God's favor, it's not going to go anywhere. But when you take that small seed of faith and you plant it in His faithfulness, His goodness, His mercy, His love, that seed begins to take root and multiply. Then we heard Fred come and speak about vulnerability. Vulnerability is the only true gateway to intimacy. When I come before him completely bare, hiding nothing, there is no other legitimate gateway to intimacy other than vulnerability. If I'm coming with fig leaves like Adam and Eve did in the garden, I'm hiding, I'm withdrawing, I'm keeping myself back. But if I come before him just as I am with my handful of seeds of faith and says, this is who I am, broken, a million things wrong with me, I've very little off. If I come before him like that, he brings me into places of intimacy and depths of his love that I could never acquire and enter on my own ability. And then Francois comes and speaks about new things. That's the gospel. Lee spoke about repentance because we come into the presence of something holy and undeniable. We change who we are. We bring the little bit of faith and say, here I am. We stand and go, I've got nothing to offer. You have me as I am. And then he comes in and he takes all the dirty old clothes, all the brokenness, everything you are, and gives you the new thing. That's the gospel from repentance to renewal. And he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Behold, all things are made new. The old is gone, the new is here. And what I want to encourage us as a congregation is there's a new thing God is doing. Can you not hear his prophet speaking? I hope I got the right. I have, yes. Can you not hear his prophet speaking? Can you not hear the voice of God manifesting through his sons and daughters? It's time to repent and turn and come closer than we ever did before and come into that place where all things are made new and where we truly begin to enter into renewal. Because I'm telling you, there's a new anointing. There's a new outpouring. There's a new spirit. There's new freedom. There's new forgiveness. There's new hope. There's new faith. There's a new wine. But are you prepared to bring the old wineskin and allow him to rework it and renew it? What I love so much about how they renew a wineskin. In Israel, they would take an old wineskin that had been beaten by the sun. The elements had got to it. Life had got to it. And this wineskin was just a bit hard, a bit hopeless, a bit sad, a bit depressed, a bit broken. 
And they would take that wineskin, they would soak it in water. And that water, the living water of God, would begin to soften that wineskin. And then they would take that wineskin and they would take oil and they would massage oil into that wineskin. And the oil began to seep into the wineskin and the wineskin slowly but surely became pliable again. And then they would take that wineskin and stretch it over a hot fire to stretch it and increase its capacity. Will you allow God to soak you and saturate you in his living water again? Will you allow the Holy Spirit to come and massage His renewal oil and His His anointing oil and His presence into you that you'll become pliable and soft? And would we be brave enough to say, God, stretch me over fire. Stretch me over fire. And some of us in our lives right now are being stretched over that fire and we feel the heat from underneath and we feel the stretching from the sides and we don't know what's going on. Stay in the place of anointing. Stay in the living waters and you will see your, your capacity increase. You will see all things be made new. There's a new wine God is looking to pour out. And we are not one wine, individual wineskins. Natalie, myself, all of us, we're part of one big wineskin, the Josh Jen wineskin, this tribe, this family. So if Nicky's in, his corner's a little bit hard and jaded, I've got to come alongside him and encourage him because together we make one wineskin for God as a family and as a house. There's a new thing being done. The prophets have declared it. Shall we not hear it? Shall we not heed it? Shall we not pay attention? God's speaking. God's speaking. And he's saying, I'm taking you to a place of renewal where all things are made new. It's a process. It's a journey. There's stretching. There's fire. But when we get to that place, it'll all be worth it. How when Merv was leading there, I was thinking about a wedding, and I kept thinking us being beautified and made beautiful for Jesus, us as a church, as a bride. And it reminded me of the story of the ten virgins. So for those of you that don't know, I will paraphrase. Jesus tells a story, and he says the kingdom of God is like ten virgins, five wise and five foolish all ten virgins were waiting for the bridegroom to return. And they all had their lamps. The five foolish virgins didn't take any extra oil. They took just enough. The five wise virgins knew the value of the bridegroom and were prepared to wait and prepared to invest and prepared to sit at a cost. So they brought extra oil. And the bridegroom took a little bit longer than they were expecting. And the five foolish virgins, waiting for their king, waiting for their man, waiting for the love of their life, ran out of oil. And the five wise virgins waited there and met enough oil. And while the five foolish ones look, went and looked for oil elsewhere, the bridegroom closed the door and said, the wedding is now beginning. And I want to ask some of us here tonight, have we been waiting so long that we've run out of oil? Because the bridegroom is returning. We don't want to be found without oil. We don't want to be found in a place run dry. Are we the five foolish virgins who let the lamp die 
who let the fire die? Are we the five wise virgins who kept enough oil in us, who stayed in the Holy Spirit, who stayed committed and devoted to God? Let us be like the five wise virgins and keep our oil full. So no matter how long he takes, we're ready at every moment and all moments. Let us be wise and keep the oil of the Holy Spirit in us, full to capacity, so that we can go the distance. For those of you tonight that feel a little bit dry, there's an opportunity to top up in his presence tonight. And that's exactly what I want to speak to us tonight to discuss. What I, what I love is, where's Chris Lewis? I love him, but he's not here. Chris Lewis put a photograph on the Sunningdale PM leaders group this afternoon with his tent. Chris is so prepared, he's already built his tent for the weekend. <laughs> Who remembers what it said on his shirt? Devoted. And for the past couple of days, the Holy Spirit's been stirring in Jacques' heart. Stirring in Andrew's heart, stirring in Mike and some of the guys up there that we only see every now and then. <laughs> devoted. Are we a devoted people? We might think we are, but are we truly a devoted people? You know, Merv got up there and started teaching on Acts 2 verse 42, and I was very worried that he's going to steal my whole sermon. You know, Jacques, I did the stewardship preaching it too, and I thought, I'm actually going to have nothing left to say. I might actually for the first time in my life lead worship like I keep threatening to do. I'm going to have to go through this quickly, but we'll get there. Acts 2 verse 42 to 47 it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Thank you, Clayton. And they were all selling their possessions and belongings and distributing, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. What we see here is a picture of God's church. What we see here is a picture of who you and I are designed and called to be when we come as a church before God. What I love about this is it says everyone was in awe. There were signs and wonders, unity. People were selling their possessions. Day by day, they were gathering and praising God. They were full of joy and gratitude. It says they had favor with all people, and the Lord added to the number day by day. That's who we are called and created to be. That's who we are designed to be. Those are our factory settings. And God is in the process, I'm telling you, of transforming, restoring, and renewing us into the bride that He has created us to be for His Son, Jesus. And we are in that process. Do not lose hope. Do not be disheartened. God is faithful, and He shall complete the good work which He has started. But that is a picture of who we are supposed to be. 
It doesn't give any other qualification that's required of us other than three words. They were devoted. You know, if you look at the Greek word for there, it means to be steadfast, to persevere, to not faint, to show great courage, and to be in constant readiness or waiting. Our devotion to the apostles, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, our devotion to prayer, are we showing great courage in how we committed to our leaders and how we committed to church and our commitment to God? Are we steadfast, waiting, excited, eager, anticipating the very next thing for God to come in and move and do? Are we there yet? You know what's crazy? The world standards of uh, the world's definition of devotion, the standards even higher. It says to give all or most of one's time and resources. So the world tells us, the church, devotion is to give all or most of your time and resources. And here, Luke is writing and says they were devoted. They gave everything. They were steadfast. What I love about this is the word devoted, the original meaning of the word devoted, and it's very important that I lay some of these foundational things because sometimes in our Western ideas, we really dilute things. It's, it's divided into two words, D-E and vote. And this is, this is Latin. D-E means to officially or formally, and vote means to make a vow. So when you are devoted to God, you formally and officially make a vow to Him. This isn't I'm committed. This isn't I'm hyped. This isn't I'm enjoying it. When you live a devoted life to God, the very de definition of the word says I'm officially and I'm formally making a vow unto Him. You know, the vow that I know is to my wife in sickness and in health, for rich or for poorer, Till death do us part. Can we as a congregation make that vow and devote ourselves to the apostles, devote ourselves to fellowship? Can we stand and make that vow and say, doesn't matter what comes my way through sickness and through health, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, I make a vow, I devote myself to God and His church. Or do we allow offense hurt, disappointment, disillusionment to creep in. You want to have a church that looks like the book of Acts. All he's saying is come and be devoted. <laughs> come and make a vow that you are mine, regardless. Come and make a vow that you belong to me, no matter what it takes. And there are three particular things that I want to touch on that Paul speaks about. And I'll go through it really quickly. Because Jacques is already giving me the hairy eyeball here. <laughs> See, the important thing about devotion is I can't be devoted for Yaku. I can love him with all my heart and soul. I can't be devoted for Mike. And Mike can't be devoted for me. I've got to own devotion. It's a choice only I can make. Jacques can encourage me. Jacques can hold me accountable. Jacques can disciple me. But devotion is a choice only I can make for my life. Only I can make the vow and say, in. Not Chris. No one can do it for me and I can't do it for you. 
It's so important to know that there's a responsibility if you want to walk, talk, move, live, and be like the church of Acts. Then he's saying, you, Sharon, need to devote yourself to me. Make a vow to me. I can't choose it for you. And another thing about devotion. Devotion in and of itself is actually not that important. See, what determines and defines your devotion is what you're devoted to. See, many of us in our lives have been devoted to things of this world. We've committed to relationships. We've made vows with our own worldly desires. So devotion in and of itself is nothing but a vehicle to get you somewhere. Where you're going is far more important. And what I love about Luke is when he writes the book of Acts, he knows man's heart. He doesn't say be devoted because you'd find anything to be devoted to. You'll just live a very devoted life to coffee shops, surfing and Josh Jen, now apparently hunting. Hunting's the new thing. But he gives us some, some targets, some goals, some destinations in order for our, to, to, to be devoted to, to aim our devotion at, to anchor our devotion on. He says, devote yourself to the apostles. Devote yourself to fellowship. Devote yourself to the breaking of bread. And devote yourself to prayer. Now, due to time constraints, which God did not put upon me, but the leader that God has placed over me has put upon me, I'm going to lightly and gently touch on just three of those. See, we are so blessed to be in an, in an apostolic house. And I'm not saying this because his gorgeous mother is here. But to have a leader like Andrew that truly operates and walks in the grace given by the apostolic, so the grace given by God as an ap apostle, to have someone like that in our house is something that is not common. It's actually quite rare. And Clayton, I want to jump to that scripture, Ephesians 4, verse, I think it's 11. Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 13. I'll be done in five minutes-ish. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that can sound very wordy. But I want to break it down for us because understanding what the apostolic can unlock in your life and being in a position where you honor the apostolic will lead you into places of fruitfulness that you could never acquire in your own capacity. So we look at a few things the apostolic does. First and foremost, as we devote ourselves to the apostolic, we have to recognize that the apostolic is actually a gift from Jesus himself. It's not often the Bible uses language like that. Jesus is coming to you and giving you a gift in the form of the apostolic and saying, here is a man that I will use and place my grace on and my hand on to lead you into the fullness of Christ, to lead you into maturity. And now we're sitting back and going, well, I don't know. It's a gift from Jesus himself. If you believe the Bible and read the Bible, that cannot be overlooked or ignored. So Jesus himself is giving us a gift in the form of the apostolic. The apostolic is for our equipping. The word equipping, which my lead elder helped me with. It literally is the same word the disciples used to mend their nets. 
So the disciples would fish and fish, and every now and then, the nets would break. And they would use the word for equipping to mending of your nets. So the apostolic comes into your life and mends your nets. You know, when Paul writes about the apostolic, he says, the apostolic, two things, is a master builder, and the apostolic also supplies that which you are lacking. So the apostolic will come and look at your nets, your ability to catch fish, your ability to be fruitful in the kingdom, your ability to steward your own life. The apostolic will come at you and go, listen, Luke, there's a hole here, there's a hole there. We need to mend your nets. We need to build up in this area. You're lacking in this area. And the apostolic begins to bring you the fullness that God has intended for you. Ultimately, the apostolic is going to help every single one of us stand before Jesus one day and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. The apostolic will bring us into stewardship and stewarding our gifts, our abilities, our talents in a way to its full capacity and honor God. The apostolic builds up the body. It edifies, strengthens, and builds up the body. It makes the body, us, the church, a fit dwelling place for his presence. The apostolic brings unity, and where there's unity, God commands his blessing. One mind, one heart, one spirit. And I think one of the most important parts, the apostolic brings maturity. All of us want to grow. Grow in my gifting. Grow in my anointing. Grow in my capacity. But not a lot of us want to be mature. Because maturing is sometimes a far more difficult road. Maturing takes you taking responsibility of some things in your life, walking some things out, and growing in God. And the apostolic will come in and help to bring you to full maturity of who God has called and created you to be. Ultimately, the apostolic will cause us to grow and to become the mature body of Christ. It says that we will become the body of Christ in every respect and every way. That us as the body under the apostolic, honoring the apostolic, being devoted to the apostolic, will begin to reflect Jesus in such a full, complete, without anything lacking way that the world will begin to see Jesus in us and through us as a church. Are we prepared to be devoted to the apostolic in our lives? Are we prepared to be found like the ten, five wise virgins, ready and waiting, hungry, not counting the cost, whatever it takes, giving all of our time and resource? Are we prepared to make an official vow, an official commitment that we're in this thing, no matter what it takes? For me, some of the best examples of that devotion of Jacques and Jeanette sitting right in front of you. They laid it all down, time and time again, whatever the cost, whatever it's taken, laid it down time and time again because they know that it's not even a sacrifice because the reward is so great. They have not got their eye on what they're losing. They have their hearts set on what they're gaining. Can we live a life of being truly and totally devoted? No half measures. Would we devote ourselves to the apostolic so the world would see the fullness of Jesus in us? 
and through us. For the sake of time, I'm going to ask Sonia and Merv to just get up there while I land my last point that I want to touch on. It speaks about being devoted to fellowship. And as we gather, the Bible so beautifully says, where two or three or more are gathered, there in their midst I am. The Bible says one will chase a thousand, two will chase ten thousand. There's a principle in the kingdom of multiplication. When we gather in plurality, God multiplies what he does. There are some unique things we found on the day of Pentecost. All the disciples in the upper room, and it says they were all together in one place. Merv touched on it earlier. They, 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 all together, one place. There's something that God establishes in fellowship that cannot be undone. There are some things in fellowship that you'll never be able to acquire and attain by your own. So can we as a group, as a body, devote ourselves to fellowship? Devote ourselves to loving each other, brother, sister, father, mother. Can we devote ourselves to gathering, to coming alongside each other, to being the body that Christ has asked us to be? Alone, I'm just Luke. But as I come in with you, I become so much more. You know, we're called to, to be a body. But without you, I'm just a hand, I'm just a foot. And the thing about that is, not only can you not function the way God intended for you to function, but you're dying before you've even begun the journey. In isolation, being cut off from the body. So fellowship is not even a nice thing. It's an essential thing that we can live, not only functionally, but healthy-wise in the fullness that God has for us. Can we as a church devote ourselves to one another? Can we devote ourselves to looking past offenses? You know, Paul writes and says, I no longer see according to the flesh. I see according to the spirits. Could we extend that same grace to each other? Will you no longer look at Luke and see the tattoos and the whatever else? But you look and you see the Spirit of God in me. And you see a son just trying to find more of his dad. And will I extend the same grace to you? Will we, will we devote ourselves to a fellowship of grace and of love and goodness and kindness towards each other? Would we devote ourselves for if Yaku needs Jesus, I'll be the Jesus for him. And if I need Jesus, he can be that for me. The last thing I want to speak about. It says they devote themselves to the breaking of bread. Oh. And please give me your attention for just two or three more minutes because this is essential. You know, Jesus sits at the last supper at the table and he breaks the bread and gives it to his disciples and he takes the cup and gives it. And we know that that bread is his flesh broken for us. We know that that cup is his blood shed for us that you and I could live with hope and restoration that we could be here tonight talking what we're talking about that we can wake up tomorrow morning know that we're going from glory to glory he's invited us into oneness with him and the Father and the Holy Spirit through what he what he did when he hung on that tree but it's it's not so much about the bread it's not so much about the wine see it represents something and he gives it to them and he says, 
do this in remembrance of me. You see, they weren't devoted to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to remembering Jesus. The breaking of the bread was the currency. They were devoted that no matter what we do, no matter where we go, no matter what's happening, everything is going to be about Jesus. They were devoted to remembering what he did so they could be who they are. They were devoted to remembering what he did so they could do it for others. And with our devotion to the apostolic, with our devotion to one another, I beg you, I plead, could we live a life that is devoted to remembering him? who He is in us and who we are in Him. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And I want to ask us as a family, as a congregation, can we, can we be devoted to the apostolic? Can we be devoted to fellowship? Can we, do, can we be devoted to prayer? And can we do all of this in remembrance of Him? Can we be devoted? Because when we looked at Him hanging on that tree, He never lacked devotion for you and me. Not for one moment. That was devotion on display for the world to see. Can we look at that and go, if that's devotion, I'm devoted. Everything that we do, how we respond to what God has given us is a response of devotion and say, I don't deserve this, I haven't earned it, but by God, you're going to find me devoted. I might not have any skill set, any gifting, any, any ability, but when you come looking, you're going to find someone that is devoted to you. Can we live a life in remembrance and devotion? of Him. Can we stand and pray? Just take a moment. As blind Bartimaeus sat there with his cup, he knew that this was a different moment. He knew that this was unlike anything he'd experienced before. And blind Bartimaeus knew that in order to see, in order to walk into the fullness of what God has for him, he had to respond. And sometimes we've responded a million times and nothing's happened. But tonight I'm telling you, the son of David is in the room. And he's saying, I'm wanting to make all things new. I'm wanting to pour out my spirit on this people, on this church, on you. I'm wanting to give you that church of acts that you long for. Can I just ask for your devotion? And I want to give us all an opportunity tonight. If there are areas in your life that have lacked devotion, the son of David is walking past. Be like Bartimaeus and cry out, come to me, come to me. And I want to invite you right now as Mervis leads us in a bit of worship. If you want to be found devoted, if you want to devote your life to everything that God has and give Him everything that you have, come forward. Come stand with me. Come respond to the call of the King. He's calling you into more.
He's calling you into more. Let him find us a devoted bride, a devoted people. Don't wait. Paul responded and stepped out of that boat. Peter, sorry, stepped out of that boat. Now's your moment. Say, God, I've sat in this boat of my own comfort, of my own convenience, of my own security for long enough. I want to be devoted. I don't know what it takes, but here I am. Here I am. 